Jesus uh, has washed away all of our sins. He has cleansed us of all the sin that once was entangled in our lives. And how awesome that we can sing about that and celebrate that this morning. Well, today we're in part three of our series, Born. And I know that some of you Jason Bourne fans in the room have been a little confused. Uh, you're like, oh, that series, we're going to watch movies. You know, no, no, no. And so I, I, we're talking here about Jesus being born and the birth of his, his, uh, uh, his life here on earth. And what an amazing thing that Pastor Peter did in the last two weeks of opening up this, you know, very, very um, difficult topic to talk about because... Very often, I think, we just sort of cover it from a, uh, you know, sort of this one angle. And Pastor Peter and I, we talked about this, and I said, Peter, if there's anybody to open it up the way we want to, it's you. And so I was very, very uh, glad that he was willing to do that. He kicked it off by talking about the incarnation. And, and this, is a, this is a topic that does not get enough uh, field time in the church. The incarnation, the God becoming flesh, God dwelling in on earth in human form. Um, I really think that many Christians overlook this incredible miracle because we just sort of get to the shepherds, we get to the manger, we get to Bethlehem and those kind of things, and we overlook that it took this incredible miracle for Jesus, the Son of God, clothed in majesty, to come into a baby boy, to be born on earth. And we could get into details, and Pastor Peter and I talked a long time about getting into the details of, you know, before being conceived. You know, what, a, what an amazing thing for us to, for us to look at that. Um, some people have said, and I know Pastor Peter mentioned it a few times too, that some people believe that this is a greater miracle than the resurrection. And, and I think in some ways, yeah, I, I believe so. Because of the fact that it took God fitting himself into a small child, and what an, amazing, what an amazing thing. And so we don't want to skip over that. We don't want to just, you know, oh, yay, we're here to celebrate the birth of Jesus and overlook the miracle that it would have taken for Jesus to be born on this, on this earth. Last week, Pastor Peter talked about, you know, Jesus being tabernacled among the people. Not only did God send his son into this world, not only did, did Jesus take on the form of a child. In the form of a man, or be, to become a man, but while he was ministering here on earth, he was also sensitive to the needs of each of the, the places that he went to. And again, just amazing that God, the, the length that God would go to to reach his people and to save us from our sin. So as I said, our theme is born. Jesus was born of a virgin. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we read that, she was found to be with child, that Mary was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're new to church and if you're not a Christian or maybe you're, you're wrestling with, you know, whether or not Christianity is for you, I guarantee you that claim is going to be difficult for you to adjust to. That claim is going to be difficult for you to wrap your head around because how could someone be born of a virgin? How could a virgin give birth? It's impossible. Well, that's the beauty of Christianity is that God is not limited to what is humanly possible. And so God did what was absolutely impossible for human minds to even understand. That's what he was willing to do to save you and I. 
And so as Christians, we believe in the virgin birth. We get ridiculed for it sometimes, but we still believe it because that's the gospel truth that God did the impossible in order to save humanity from sin. Jesus was born in a stable. He was placed in a manger. He didn't start his life in some fancy palace. Now what you need to understand though is that basically Jesus was born in the shadow of an enormous fortress, of an enormous palace called the Herodium. This thing right here. There we go. That is a man-made mountain. Anybody know by who? A lot of you do, you just don't know how to say it. Herod the Great. Herod the Great literally made that. He moved mountains in order to make this thing so that he could be in this incredible fortress. This was his place of escape. And we know that Herod the Great died shortly or around the time of Jesus' birth. And so it's very likely that he was hanging out in this place because near the end of his life he became more and more paranoid. And so this is very likely one of the places that he would have been during the time of the birth of Jesus. And so Jesus decided not to take on, you know, this kind of an image of this massive palace. And the interesting thing is Bethlehem is three miles from this palace, from this fortress. The Herodium is a site that looks like a volcano, but it is not. It was built completely by Herod the Great, and according to the Jewish philosopher Josephus, this served as his palace and as his fortress. So when the angels appeared, you got to understand, Bethlehem, Bethlehem can be, uh, uh, sorry, Herodium can be seen from Bethlehem. If you take a look at it, there you go, that's Bethlehem. There's that palace. In between there somewhere is where possibly the angels appeared to these shepherds. So the interesting thing is when the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, hey, a king has been born, that it may have happened that the very first thing that the shepherds would have been tempted to do would be to look at the palace, to look at this fortress. They may have even assumed for a second that Herod had a child. And they would have thought, oh, now a king is born, a king of the Jews, because that is what Herod was called. Herod the Great took on the name the king of the Jews. But let's look at what the angels say to um, these shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. <clears throat> and there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, <clears throat> Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Now here's the interesting thing. You've got, you've got this palace. You've got Bethlehem. And you have these shepherds. The question that has been asked many, many times, and I want to ask it again today, is why was heaven's glory revealed first to a bunch of nobodies in the middle of nowhere? Why did God decide that the first people to hear about the birth of Jesus were going to be these shepherds? I think that 
This has been answered many times, but I want to look at this question and try to answer it today maybe in a little bit of a different way than what we normally do. Like I said, our theme is born, and we've already seen the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made to come here to this earth. So here we, <coughs> excuse me. Here we see, though, that the very first place that God sends the announcement of the birth is to these shepherds. And later, the interesting thing is later on, Jesus himself will often take on this identity of a shepherd. Jesus himself will refer to himself as the good shepherd. Why would these shepherds be so important to Jesus? And why were these shepherds so important for the, the announcement to come first to these shepherds? Well, let's look at these shepherds for a little bit. Because by now, if you aren't wondering, you should be wondering, what is it about these shepherds that would make God want to make sure that they heard about it first? What is it about these shepherds that would make Jesus say, I am a good shepherd? Clearly, there's something very special about shepherds. Well, the truth is, actually, at that time, Shepherds were really not that popular. They were not looked upon with a lot of respect. While shepherds had once held, had been held in great high esteem uh, by God's people, they had become, they were by now, they were unwanted, they were left out, they were pushed aside. You got to understand, they smelled like sheep, they slept on the ground, they didn't enter major cities, their jobs made them very little money. They came from a very low rung of society. Abraham, Moses, and David, they were the heroes, larger-than-life heroes of the people of Israel. And everyone knew that they had once been shepherd, but also everyone saw that they had gone past and beyond being shepherd. They had become kings and, and big leaders. So shepherds were kind of yesterday's news. They weren't someone that you would look at and say, man, if I could become a shepherd... I would really feel like I'd made it somewhere in life. Now remember, we're still asking the question, why was the news first brought to these people? And why did Jesus take on this view of being a shepherd so many times in his ministry when he would talk to people? He would, he would use that image. Okay, so, so far we've heard that shepherds really were not that well liked or they were not all that uh, important in society. The very nature of a shepherd's work kept them from entering the mainstream of Israel's uh, society. They couldn't maintain their ceremonial washing, which meant that they were completely um, eliminated from sacrifice. And here's the interesting thing. These shepherds, not too far from Jerusalem, were considered unclean, so they couldn't go to the temple to do their sacrifices, but most likely they were taking care of the sheep that would be used for those sacrifices. Very interesting. And again, we're going to look at some of the reasons why maybe that's some of the reasons why Jesus came and his announcement was first made to the shepherds. They worked long days and nights, which meant that they were also very lonely times. I think maybe, you know, some truckers and night shift workers could maybe by now begin to say, oh, I understand that part. You know, these very lonely moments and times in their lives. So here's one thing that shepherds did to entertain themselves. Again, this is important to remember, is they would talk to their sheep. And they would name all of their sheep. And we know that sometimes they had large amounts of them. And, and they would literally know every sheep by name. Hmm, sound familiar? Because Jesus talked about knowing all of us by name. 
So these shepherds were very lonely, and one of the ways they entertained themselves was literally saying, you know, maybe they had Mennonite names, who knows? George, you know, whatever, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe it would have been interesting. And she's like, well, please no, but um, whatever. Um, they were viewed as dishonest. They were seen as unreliable. And because of this, they were not allowed to testify in court. So even if there was a murder <clears throat> or if there was some very heinous crime, if the only witness to that crime was a shepherd, his testimony was inadmissible because he was a shepherd. They assumed that he would be dishonest. They assumed that he would be a liar. And so they were not allowed in court. So why was heaven's glory revealed to unwanted, forgotten shepherds? All of, God, all of the people of whom God could have reached, of all the people who God could have reached to bring the birth, my goodness, he would have just needed to maybe go a mile and a half further and there was the most powerful man in the region sitting on a throne. And he could have proclaimed it to him. He could have gone to Rome. He could have gone to Caesarea. He could have gone to all these other places. But he decided to use Bethlehem. And that was going to be the birthplace of the Savior. So why? Now there's a few, you know, technical, theological, maybe historical reasons. I want to give you a few. One these were Bethlehem shepherds, and like I said before already, they were most likely raising the very sheep that would be used as the sacrificial lambs. And so I think there's a very, you know, possibly there's a tie to that because later on Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb for humanity. So there's maybe one reason. Maybe even in the birth itself, Jesus was already foretelling, God was already foretelling, simply by the news going to these shepherds, that one day Jesus would lay down his life for humanity. Another one, Abraham, Moses, and David were all shepherds, and God had made great promises to them about the deliverance of their, his people and the, that the Messiah would be born. And this is maybe one way that God is honoring that promise. Another one, the image of a shepherd, is the image of God choosing to use um, as, as his example as a leader. God uh, used shepherds, and Jesus used shepherd as the example that, of, of the kind of leader he would be. One who pastored, one who cared for his sheep, one who was willing to lay down his life for his sheep. So while all three of these are important, I still think that there are maybe a couple other big, another big reason. God frequently identified himself as a loving shepherd. So what was it about the shepherd that made it so important for the message to go first to them? What I want to do now is I want <clears throat> to ask this question maybe in a little bit different way. What was it about the sheep under the care of the shepherd that made God say the news must go to them first? I want to read you Psalm 23. I have it memorized, but I don't dare try because I'll get nervous and and butcher it. So Psalm 23, you all know this one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet water. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, the shepherd. 
The shepherd's rod, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love <clears throat> will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In that psalm, we get a description of what shepherds do. In that psalm, we use this psalm to comfort people all the time. We use this psalm in our own dark moments to say, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd will not leave me. I have nothing to fear. That his rod, his staff, they actually comfort me. And again, we could spend a lot of time talking about the shepherd's rod and the, and the shepherd's staff and the way they were used. But, you know, the sheep saw the rod and the staff not as weapons to be used against them, but they saw these as tools to protect them. And so we look at this now, this question of why was the news of Jesus' birth first brought to the shepherd? If we look at it through the lens of the sheep, suddenly we see a very different shepherd. Jesus identified him as the good as himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. God wants us to know that he knows us. God wants us to know that he cares about us, that he will never abandon us. He longs to bless us and make our lives full. He wants us in his presence, and he wants us to know that he knows us by name. Shepherds would gather in larger groups, and they did not have to manually or physically separate their sheep. Shepherds would literally just start walking, call out their sheep by name, and the sheep would come and follow their shepherd. That's the image that God wants us to have of him, that he knows us and that we need to follow him and that he will protect, him, um, protect, um, protect us. But as I said before, shepherds were despised, they were unwanted. They lived far from the busy lives of most of the people in their, in their day. They were not important. They were not important personally, they were not important politically, they were not important economically. So if God, to choose, if God chose to reveal his glory to them first, then I think the king of, the, of uh, glory is also making a very important statement here that no one, no one is out of reach of being able to hear about the message of Jesus. So I want to give you, I kind of jumped ahead of myself already a little bit, I want to give you just two different views now of shepherds. One would be the view that we've looked at. One would be the view of those outside of the care of the shepherd. This is the people who look upon the shepherd and say, oh, he smells or man, he's not, you know, he's not dressed for the occasion. He doesn't fit our environment. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't belong. He's, he's seen as someone who's not important and they push aside. He, they, he's pushed aside and he's kind of left on the outside because they're looking at this shepherd and saying, we don't really know what we would do with that shepherd in our lives. I think this is the view that much of the world has of Jesus. They look at Jesus and they look at what Jesus stands for, and they look at Jesus as, well, what would we do with that? He looks unattractive. I mean, I have to surrender my life. I have to come underneath and, and be led by him. I don't want that. I want to be on my own. But then there's a second view. The second view is that of the sheep. 
The sheep don't see a shepherd that is smelly, and they don't see a shepherd that is so different from them. They see a shepherd who is very much like them. As I said before, shepherds would have smelled like sheep. They stayed with their sheep. They knew their sheep by name. So for a sheep, for the sheep, when they looked upon a shepherd, they saw someone very different than those outside of the care of the shepherd. They saw a protector. They saw a provider. And at times, they literally saw a Savior who would give his life for them. Jesus was born to be a shepherd. And that's why Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, because he wants you and I today to be able to look at a story like this, these shepherds, these, these often looked upon as nobodies, but he wants us to look upon those shepherds and say, if you are under the care of those shepherds, you don't have that view of them. You have a view of someone who would literally die for you, even though you are a lowly sheep, uh, lowly sheep and he is a shepherd, he would be willing to risk his life to protect yours. And that is what Jesus did for us. That's why Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He goes on to say, I'm not like the hired man who runs whenever danger comes. He says, I will lay down my life for my sheep. For me, I don't know how you are, but for me, this kind of helps me understand why it was so important that the message of Jesus' birth went first to these shepherds. Those of us who have given our lives to Jesus see him the way the sheep would see a, a shepherd. So here's something, though, that's possible. It's possible that there are some of you in the room today your view of Jesus, your view of the shepherd is still from out here. You're still wondering to yourself, what would I do with this in my life? Why would I want to be under the care of a shepherd? I don't quite follow Jesus. I don't get what he's about. I don't, this loving your enemies, this, this, this doesn't make sense to me. And so in total honesty, maybe for you, Jesus still appears somewhat unattractive unnecessary and possibly even in the way but put yourself under his care and suddenly I, I guarantee you you will see a very very different shepherd you will see someone who will sacrifice everything and who has sacrificed everything for you and so if you're here today and you have not given your life yet to Christ I pray, and I've been praying that throughout this series, you would see the miracle. You would see all that God was willing to do to bring about salvation for you. But then there's also another group of people here. Those of us who were or who are under the care of the shepherd, but then for whatever reason, we have decided to wander off. We read a parable about that. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, it says, What do you do? What do you think? If a man owns a, owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. 
Now, I realize he's not using the word shepherd here. He's talking about an owner. But I think the image is the same. Here you have somebody who says, my sheep matter to me enough that when even one wanders off, I'm not looking back and saying, you know, I still have 99, I'm good. That he's willing to go and risk everything to protect the one. Now, the cool thing about this is when you read this and you read the commentaries on this, when he places the sheep on the hill, he is placing them in a place of safety. He hasn't abandoned the 99 in some ravine that's dangerous and where there's animals that could attack. He's, he's placed them up on a hill where they are safe, and then he goes after the one. Jesus, as our shepherd, has done the craziest thing to go after the one. He will literally do whatever it takes to pursue you so that you will be drawn back. Here's what I want you to know, all of you, whether you are under the care of the shepherd or whether you are not under the care of the shepherd or whether you're under the care of the shepherd and you have wandered off somehow, I want you to know this morning that God loves you. That God loves you. He longs to have you in his presence. That he offers you his tender care. That if you've wandered off, I want you to know that he is pursuing you. That he is looking for you. The story of the birth of Jesus is not something from a long ago, you know, some faraway land that has no relevance anymore. The story of lowly shepherds and forgotten shepherds keeping watch out in the field is more than just some historical decoration. It's more than just us being, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> It's more than just us being able to say, wow, isn't that cool that we have shepherds? Shepherds being the first to hear of the Savior's birth is a story of people who did not deserve this <clears throat> receiving news of the greatest gift to ever be told. And that gift is still available to you and I today. So if you've never experienced this love, I would just say to you today is your day. If you have been coming to church, and, or maybe you haven't been coming to church, and, and you're just like, man, I just have never taken the time. I've never stopped to say, would I allow Jesus to care for me, to shepherd me, to provide for me, to, to come under him, and to be led by him. I would invite you that today is your day when you do that. Because Jesus was born so that you and I would not be out on our own like sheep without a shepherd. But that we would be under his protection, under his leadership. That we would know that wherever we are, he knows us by name. He calls us out and he cares for us. I would say the same thing for you that if you don't have, you know, the joy that you can have, I just want you to know that he can give you that joy. When he becomes your shepherd, he becomes your savior. He will allow you in. He will forgive your sins. He will give you victory. He will give you hope and joy. He will give you peace. He will fill your heart with love. You will have a place where you belong. Yesterday, um, Simon and I were working the kettle, and, and you know, 
people were out grocery shopping and, you know, this should be a joyous occasion. And I would say to you that, unfortunately, the large number of people that we talked to, joy was not the first thing that you would see. And it, it broke my heart. Here they are, you know, going out to buy meals, uh, you know, stuff for meals to celebrate Christmas. And yet for so many of them, they looked weary and they looked tired and they looked exhausted. And some of the ones, you know, there's always those that feel guilty and so they want to talk to you because they didn't put anything in. And I just don't make eye contact when I'm like, oh, I don't got nothing to put in there. I just, man, I'm just walking or a fiddle with my key or, oh, very important text, you know. Just anything to make, not make eye contact with, you know, the kettle guy. You know, and I, when some of you that I knew walked by, I'm like, come on, you know, ringing it even harder, you know, just to make you feel guilty. But, um, you know, I, I'm, but it's interesting when you see so many people, even though here they are going through, you know, the, through the procedures of Christmas, there was no joy. There's emptiness. Can I just say to you today, if you have never given your life to Jesus, there is an emptiness that can be filled today. You can just experience this belonging. Can you imagine a sheep back in those days suddenly having a name? Being called a name and it's like, you belong to me. From here on, you follow me and I will lead you and I will make sure that you're safe. And if you wander off, I will do everything I can to bring you back in. So if you've never given your life to Christ, you just need to simply surrender and say, I want to come under your leadership, Jesus. I want you to forgive my sin. And I know that's something that's hard to say because I don't really want to admit that I'm a sinner. But, but without that, we cannot submit fully to him. And so we need to just surrender that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And then that second group, those of you that <clears throat> have come under the care of the shepherd. And if you're really, really honest with yourself right now, you would have to admit and say, you know what? I am like that one sheep. I, I wandered off. And I'm always perplexed why a sheep would do that when they're cared for and when they're protected and when they, they should know. But we also hear that sheep aren't always the smartest you know, animal out there. And I think sometimes we Christians aren't always the smartest either because we've experienced the incredible love and victory of Jesus. And then for whatever reason, all of a sudden one day we start going after something we shouldn't go after. So if that's you, and you find yourself this morning and you're like, man, I'm, I'm pursuing something. I'm going after something that I should not have, that I sh is not bringing me the fulfillment that I wanted. I just want you to know that your shepherd is pursuing you. That he longs to have you back with him. So I don't know what your Christmas is shaping up to be. I don't know if your family will be <clears throat> over. I don't know if you're going to have massive amounts of meal and gain 10 pounds. But I do know one thing that can be true for every single one of us in this room today, and that is that we can all be under the care of our shepherd, of our Jesus. I'm looking at your faces, and I know that some of you, you need to hear that today, that you are loved you are loved. You are pursued. You matter. Jesus gave up his heavenly throne 
to come to be born in a manger. The news was given to these shepherds. Why? So that every single one of us could have complete victory in Christ by embracing him. So there's these two views of shepherds. One is the view of those outside of his care. They see him as unimportant. They see him as unnecessary. They may see him as, you know, a bother. And then there's those others who are under the care of the shepherd. They see a savior. So I could do the guilt thing now. I could say, so which one is you? Which view is yours of him? But I want to rather just leave it at this. I want you to know that today, today, you can make a decision, whether you've wandered off, whether you've never given your life to Christ, that today can be the day where you say, Jesus, would you come? Would you be my shepherd? Would you be my leader? Would you be my savior? I submit my, myself completely to you. I've been praying for you. And this morning... At around 3 in the morning, I didn't think I was going to make it up on stage because I felt so sick, but that's okay. God wanted you to hear this. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond, and I'll invite these guys to come up and, and, uh, and start playing a little bit. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond today. Not to me, not to the team, but to Jesus. And I just invite you this morning, if, if you have never ever given your life to Christ, never, that right now, you would just say, God, I ask you, Jesus, to forgive my sins, and I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, and I ask you, Jesus, and I give you my life, and I ask you, Jesus, to be my shepherd, to be my leader, to be my savior. I surrender my life to you. Sounds too easy, doesn't it? But that's the miracle. That's the miracle, that he did all the work. Then maybe there's that other group. And you're, you, just to be honest with yourself, and we Christians sometimes have a hard time with this because, man, we all want to be seen as we've got it all together. And, and I couldn't tell you how many times I have met with Christians who say, I know I'm putting on a front because I cannot admit to the fact that my life is falling apart. And I think sometimes we've talked about this in the past, sometimes in the church, we are our worst enemies because we all do this and we try to make it look like we've got it all together, but it's possible some of you here today are going to celebrate the birth of Jesus without really having surrendered to him. So would you today... Would you today, as those who have maybe wandered off and you've pursued your own things, would you today say, I'm going back. You've pursued me, and today with this sermon, with this church service, you found me, just like we just sung about. You found me, and I want you to rescue me. I want to come back. I'm pursuing things that are not leading me where I wanted to go. This Christmas, I want to celebrate, again, under the care of a shepherd. Heavenly Father, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you that we are never too far from you.
Thank you that we're never in a place, in a ditch, or in a, in a ravine, or in, a, in whatever situation it may be, that you as a shepherd do not continue to go after us to find us. I pray for those in this room who, who maybe today made a decision for you, to you for the very first time. Lord, I pray you give them victory. I pray for those who are hurting for an identity that today they would see their identity in you. I pray, Lord, that you would make their life whole. Pray for those who've maybe wandered off for whatever reason, and maybe right now they're looking at it and saying, what was I thinking? How foolish. It hasn't brought me the joys I'd hoped for. Lord, I pray that tonight, they would just, or this morning, they would just humble themselves and say, I'm back. I want to be back. I want to be back in your care. Lord Jesus, we claim, we claim your power in this place. You are not defeated. Your authority is not even challenged. That you are completely victorious. You reign and there's no one who can challenge your reign. So we claim you, Jesus, over this place. That every single heart, every single mind would leave here completely and fully devoted to you. We thank you for the miracle of your birth. We thank you for the miracle of salvation. And we claim it as ours. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's